Well, good morning. I uh, want to start off this morning by telling you about something that's very, very, very important to me. One of the top priorities in my life. My wife. Uh, I love my wife. That's, yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, thank you. Um, and I want to tell you a little bit about her. Some of you know her. Some of you have actually known her longer than you've known me because uh, she spent a lot of years here at Southside. She did an internship here at Southside in youth ministry. She's worked with a lot of our kids over the years. Her family has attended off and on over the years here at Southside. They all left once I came along. I won't worry about that too much. But um, her name's Caitlin, and uh, she was homeschooled. She grew up in Brownsville, Oregon, and... Uh, she went to Ecola Bible College, Lynn Benton Community College, and she graduated from Oregon State University, which she holds over my head every time we talk about the Beavers and who's the bigger fan. <laughs> she's smart. She's courageous. She's adventurous. She's funny. She says it like it is. She doesn't hold back. Wait, I think I love that about her anyways. <laughs> she's an EMT. She went to school. She's a firefighter. She's tough. And, and I love her so much, and uh, she really likes my beard. <laughs> she's beautiful on the inside and the outside, and she's made me a, a better person uh, because of our time together. And even though it's only been a year and a half that we've been married, I can see the impact that she's been having on my life and how I'm a better person because of her influence. I was recently able to introduce her to an old friend of mine, someone I've known since I was just a knuckle-headed teenager. And it was a lot of fun to introduce her for that first time. I'd known her and fallen in love with her and married her, and he hadn't gotten the chance really to, to meet her and get to know her at all, and we were able to spend an evening together, and I was able to just kind of show her off in a way uh, to my old friend. And he got a little glimpse of who she was. And that was a fun night. And, and I've had, I love that opportunity to tell people who don't know her about why I care about her and why she won my heart. My life is different because of her. And it's better because of her. And I, I devote myself to her because of the love that we share. Devotion is one of the foundations upon which marriage is built. It's a commitment. It's a deep commitment. And it signifies love and conviction in our hearts. In Acts chapter 2, we read a passage last week, verses 42 through 47, where we see what the early church was devoted to. Like a husband is devoted to their wife, the church was devoted to certain things. And in that passage, we can see what they were sold out for. Uh, not simple, simple, casual little acts that they did, but, but these were sacred things. They were special. They were important. They were essential to their daily lives. Things that they were committed to, just like spouses are committed to each other. So let's look. We're going to take a look this morning at that passage. Again, we read it last week, but it's so rich and so filled. So we're actually going to spend the next eight weeks looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. We claim to be a New Testament church. We pattern ourselves after what Jesus taught, what the apostles taught, and the model of that early church. So if we're going to do that, if we're going to model ourselves after something, then we should understand what they were committed to, and we should be committed to things that are similar that they did. So let's look. As a New Testament church, this is the pattern 
that we can look at uh, to see what the early church did. But before we do that, uh, I want to set the stage just a little bit to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. The beginning of Acts, we find that Jesus has, has uh, met with his disciples. He's kind of gathered his disciples around him, and he's given them a few last words, which included the Great Commission, which we've talked about over the last few weeks, to go and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, and, and baptizing them, and, and all that that we've talked about. We, we don't need to go over that a whole bunch more today. Uh, but he gives that final instructions, and then he ascends into heaven, and he leaves them, and now they're kind of on their own. And so they go back to Jerusalem, and they go back to that upper room, and they gather together, and they, they pray, and they talk about what they're going to do next. And in the course of that conversation, uh, they decide that it's time for them to replace Judas, that they need someone else to fill in his shoes. And so they pray about it, and they talk about it, and they debate about it, and they cast lots about it, and it falls to a man named Matthias. And so the twelve are kind of whole again. And then, shortly after that time, uh, they receive the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit descends on them, and they are filled with it, and they speak in other languages, and people all around them can understand in their native tongue, and people are, are curious about what's going on. And so Peter, filled with the Spirit, stands up in Jerusalem, and he gives that first sermon, the first evangelistic message of the early church. And Acts chapter 2.42 falls right after that's taken place, and a large number of people have responded to the gospel message. He stands up, and where it was just a few disciples, 50 maybe, 60, we don't know exactly, but a few disciples gathered around. All of a sudden, in one day, 3,000 people join the church and accept Jesus and are filled with the Spirit. So now we have an issue on our hands. We have a church. We have a, a mega church, in a sense, here in Jerusalem. And what did they do? What did they do with all of those people? What was important to them? Well, let's look at Acts chapter 2, 42. <coughs> and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day... Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all of the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's an amazing passage filled with things, with practices of that early church. And we should be modeling ourselves after this church because this is the church that Jesus established through his apostles and his apostles exercised oversight on and that they instructed on how to live their daily lives. And we see right off the bat that the first thing that they devoted themselves to was to the apostles' teaching. This idea of devoting themselves could be translated as they persisted in. They were persistent in these things. They busied themselves with these things. This form of the verb makes it clear that it wasn't just a one-time thing, that just one time they sat down and they listened to the apostles' teaching once. Nope, that's not the picture that this is painting. It's saying this was an ongoing practice. It could be translated that they kept on devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They kept at it. Not a one-time thing. It's something that continued on and on and on. So what did the apostles teach? What was this idea of the apostles' teaching? 
Well, first, we know that from the Great Commission that it was what? What do you think? What do you think? Okay, the death and resurrection, definitely. Right? But from the, from the Great Commission, he said to teach them what? All that I have commanded you. Okay? All, and what, well, but I just made a mistake there. Did you catch my mistake? It didn't say teach them all that I have commanded you. What did he say? Teach them to obey all that I have commanded. Okay? So we know that they were teaching obedience of the things that Christ commanded them. But we also know that, uh, well, I'm going to get ahead of myself too much if I go there yet. <laughs> but we, he taught them to obey because obedience is so important. And, and I've, I've brought this up time and time again because I, the apostles, the, the, Paul himself, Peter, bring up the importance of obedience in Scripture over and over. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, it says this. It says, But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying? the Lord, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is much better than the fat of rams. Okay, so throughout history, the, it's easy to fall into a trap of giving God something to kind of appease him, to show people, to show God that he's important to us, where he's saying, your obedience is what I really desire. You following me with your heart and your heart driving your actions is what's really important. So the Great Commission is telling us to teach obedience and obedience of Jesus' commands. So we know that the gospel that they presented also, what was just mentioned here earlier, also the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So they taught the teachings, they taught obedience, but they also taught his life, death, and resurrection as well. So these things kind of comprise what, his, what the early apostles taught. And actually... I just mentioned it a few minutes ago. In Acts chapter 2, we see Peter teaching the very first sermon, right? That first message where he stands up and he teaches the people about Jesus. And in that passage, in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 36, it gives us a pretty clear example of what the apostles taught. And we see Paul doing this in his, in his uh, travels and his missionary journeys. <clears throat> the first thing that they taught about were the events of the gospel, Okay, so the events, the things that took place within Jesus' life, the events. So, for example, we see them teaching about his miracles, the things that he did that established his authority. We also know that in that uh, events, it includes, it includes his teachings. We know about the Sermon on the Mount and, and the different parables that he taught and the interactions that he had with the Pharisees and women at the well, things like that. And then the other events ultimately culminating with the crucifixion and the resurrection. The next part in this sermon, well, we're not going to read it today. We don't have enough time to do that. I'd encourage you to read Acts chapter 2, 14 through 36 this week because it gives a really nice overview of what the apostles typically taught. But the next part in that sermon, he taught about the events, but he also taught proofs from the gospel. Proofs. And some of those had to do with apologetics, you know, the, the arguments for the proof, the, the existence of Jesus. And he uses Old Testament prophecies in that time. He quotes people like the prophet Joel. He, he, he quotes the King, King David in the Psalms. He includes Second uh, Samuel. He references those things, showing that the Old Testament bore witness to the person of Jesus Christ, that the events of Jesus' life were fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies and Old Testament passages. So the Old Testament kind of attests to Jesus himself, and Peter pulled that out in his sermon. 
He also appealed to the crowd and said, listen, you yourself saw this man. We aren't making him up. You witnessed these things. You witnessed his miracles. You witnessed some of his teachings. You see us here before us. You know that we were his personal friends. So the New Testament um, people were witnesses to Jesus. So there's early apologetic arguments of, of testimonies and witnesses and, and events that took place that the people themselves knew about. So Peter, in that first sermon, he talked about the events of the gospel and the proofs of the gospel and also the benefits of the gospel. This is kind of where he pulls it all together, where he, he wraps it all up and he says that the gospel, Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, his teachings are all culminated in our response to him. And he offers us forgiveness of sins when we repent and are baptized and call upon his name. And then he says that another benefit isn't just the forgiveness of sins, but now that you receive, you're going to receive the Spirit. And the Spirit is going to be in you, going to reside within you. God isn't just around us now. He isn't just walking beside us in the form of Jesus, but now he is inside of you in the form of the Spirit. So we have forgiveness of sins. We have the presence of the Spirit but we also have reconciliation with God. A broken relationship through our sin, through our transgressions, has now been made whole, has been reconnected and restored. So the benefits of the gospel, forgiveness of sins, the presence of the Spirit in our lives, reconciliation with God. So we see, what did the apostles teach? They taught the gospel, the events of the gospel, the proofs of the gospel, and the benefits of the gospel for our personal life. Okay, so that, that pattern is kind of fulfilled as we see Peter going around and teaching. We see Paul going around and teaching. The things that they taught had to do with the gospel. It was gospel-focused. So that we know that the gospel, that scripture, the Bible, the word itself, is useful. Okay, we see right here it has benefits. Okay, there was a lot of teaching about it. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, it says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God... So God gave it to us, and it's profitable. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the, uh, the apostles, they knew that this was profitable, that there was something to this. There was something important in it that was designed specifically for our benefit. And we also know that the gospel... That knowing the gospel, that knowing scripture is encouraged. It's, it's something that we are told to do. They weren't just committed to it. They were also saying, you need to be committed to it as well. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So we're told to do it. They were encouraged to know the scriptures, to search the scriptures, to understand God's word and Jesus' word. <clears throat> but why? Why was the early church so committed? Why were they devoted to doing this? Why should we be devoted to this? What is in it for us? Well, we've mentioned a few of those things, but I have two of them for us this morning. The first is this, and that is because teaching God's word is the power of God for the salvation of those who hear. The teaching of God's word is the power of God for the salvation of those who hear it. So why are we committed to it? Because there's a world out there that needs to know about Jesus. 
Okay, and that word being taught by the church, by Christians, by us, is going to fall on the ears of those who need to hear it. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. This word is important because it contains the words of life that bring salvation to those who hear it. So why are we committed? Because hopefully we care about those around us that haven't heard the word. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, it said, It has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Okay? He has brought life and our salvation through these words. And these words are important. So why are we committed to it? Because they contain life. They contain life. And victory over the consequences of sin and death. Here's a second one. We're committed to this because teaching God's word is the power of God for the salvation of those who hear. And we're committed to this because teaching God's word will encourage, will equip, and empower you to follow Christ more closely. Okay, there's, so there's a benefit to those who hear. We're committed to it because we want others to hear, because we want others to know and to find that same gift of forgiveness and eternal life that we have experienced. So that's a reason. That's a great reason to be committed to teaching what the apostles taught and what the gospel contains. But it's also for our benefit, too. It's for others' benefit, but it's for our benefit to encourage, equip, and empower you. And what I mean by that is encourage in that it tells us what we should be doing and and, and encourages us to follow those things. Okay, So it tells us those. And then it equips us. It gives us the ability. It gives us the, the, the necessary skills to handle whatever comes our way. And then it empowers us to make those right decisions and to actually act on the skills we have. Okay, for example, let's say that my dad encouraged me to become a carpenter. And so he then works with me in the, in the shop and he teaches me how to cut and how to sand and how to measure and how to make grooves and, and connect things. And I'm not a carpenter, as you can probably tell. Um, but he teaches me all of those skills. So he's, he's encouraged me in carpentry. He's equipped me in carpentry. But who has to actually do it? I have to do it, right? And so that is part of our, the reason that we, the Spirit is so important within us and that God's Word has life in it. Because it doesn't just help us to get the skills. It doesn't just tell us what we should do, but it also empowers us through the Spirit to actually do it. For example, do you have a problem with a relative uh, over past hurts that you just can't get over? You ever had that happen? Someone in your life, maybe a relative or a friend, that your relationship becomes damaged because of something in the past. And that past hurt is so great that that relationship is basically over. I hear about that a lot. I've experienced that myself a lot. So in light of God's word, what do we know? Well, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So it encourages us to do what? To forgive. Okay? And you know what? You know how I can forgive? The reason I can forgive? Because I've been forgiven. God showed me how to forgive. 
He didn't just tell me to it to, to do it. He also showed me how to do it by forgiving my sins. And so now I've experienced what it feels like to have that burden lifted from my shoulders. Now through the Spirit, He will empower me to help forgive if I let Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Love, speaking of love, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. It keeps no record of wrong. Scripture is telling me what I need to do with this relationship. All those past hurts, whenever I think of them, whenever I'm, I'm re-hurt by that memory, guess what I'm doing? I'm keeping hold of that record of wrong. Right? I'm marking it in my tally book. Oh, it hurt that person. Hurt me again. Right? Scripture tells us that's not how love is. That's not what love's about. Okay, it tells me. It equips me because God doesn't keep record of my wrong. Okay, he's forgiven. And that's it. Now it's my responsibility to turn and to do that for others. Are you struggling with addiction to a chemical, an image, or, or a thought pattern in your life? In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, it says, We demolish arguments and every pretension uh, that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought, anything that could separate us from God, anything that could get in the way of our relationship with Him, anything that could cause us to look at something else that is away from Jesus. We take it captive. We've been encouraged to do that. We've been equipped to do that. Now, do you depend on the Spirit enough to actually let Him empower you to defeat that addiction? Galatians chapter 5. I'd encourage you this week, another one, another passage. If you really want to look at a good passage that, will, that has a lot of meaning and practical application, look at Galatians chapter 5. Here's verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery, by a yoke of addiction. Don't be burdened. God has taken that from you. Now, sometimes there are chemical things, that processes that take place in our, in our body, and we need help. We need medical help with those things. But God has released our spirit from those addictions. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another in humble love. He's saying, listen, I'm going to give you the way to defeat these things. Instead of focusing on these things, do what? Focus on other people and serve other people in love. If you don't want to be focused so much on your addiction, look at something else that is positive, that he's encouraging us to do, serving others. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. They put it to death. Put it to death. We often... We like to cover it up. We like to bury it down deep in our hearts. We don't like to crucify it. We don't like to put it to death. We don't like to get rid of it. right? I like to hold on to my sins and my struggles just a little bit because every now and then I like to just pull them out and look at them again. Right? Now let's put those things to death. How do we deal with those things? Through Scripture. Here's another one. Struggling with self-esteem or pride. 
In 1 John verse th- chapter 3, verse 1, first part of it, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. You have low self-esteem? Scripture tells us what the deal is here. You're a child of God. Okay? You are a child of the Creator. And if you're struggling with low self-esteem, you should know that Scripture, scripture speaks directly to you and says that you have been adopted by the Creator of the universe, and He has called you His child. And if that isn't something to help you with self-esteem issues, I don't know what else is. So I can't imagine a better place to be in than to be a child of the Creator. On the flip side of that pride, Romans 12:3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought. Okay? Don't think too much of yourself. Don't think too low of yourself. That's not right. You're a child of God. But just remember, so is the people around you too, right? And we're all in this together. <clears throat> the Bible, it, it, it encourages us to do what's right. The teaching of Scripture, they, they give us, they equip us with the skills necessary. And the Spirit, which comes from the teaching of God's Word, empowers us to deal with these things. Through the devotion to the Bible and to biblical teaching, we receive forgiveness of sins and are reconciled to God and receive his spirit. And that's pretty amazing. That is an amazing amount of power in this little book right here. Through devotion to biblical teaching, to God's word, we are encouraged to do what the verses say. By devoting ourselves to memorizing verses and learning God's word, we are equipped to battle temptation and to conquer addiction. We are equipped to stay strong in the middle of whatever struggles we find ourselves in. And through devotional... Excuse me, through devotion to biblical teaching, to God's word, we are empowered to do what is right in any circumstance. Not looking out just for ourselves and the issues that we're going through at this moment, but also to look out for the needs of others as well. That's what biblical teaching brings to the church. That's why the apostles thought it so important to train that new church. They had no past history. They had no baggage. They had no preconceived ideas of what this new uh, Jesus-centered church was. They let some of that creep in eventually for their Jewish roots. But the new Christian church that they established that day, the apostles got to show them how to behave, how to, what to practice, what to devote themselves to. And the first one mentioned here is through biblical teaching. And biblical teaching, you know, it isn't all about what's in our head. That's not what biblical teaching is all about. It's not just about how much we can know, because we all know people that know a lot of stuff but don't have a lot of intelligence to use it, right? Hey, we can know everything, but what good is it if we don't put it into practice? In Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 through 15, it says this, well, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. Hold fast. And how can we hold fast to something that we don't know? And how can we hold fast to something that we haven't made a commitment, a committed part of our lives? You know, I I love my wife. I'm devoted to her. 
And I have success in that. And I have failures in that. But I always get back up and I try again. And that's what being a devoted husband is really all about. I'm human. But I have a goal. I have a purpose in that. I'm devoted to her. And to be the church that God intends us to be, we need to be devoted to his word. We need to be devoted to his teachings. And sometimes we're going to succeed and sometimes we're going to have failures. But we're going to keep that as our primary purpose. One of our, our reasons for being is, is teaching and discipling because of his word so that he can receive the glory and that we can take as many people with us to heaven and that we can equip and encourage one another to that end. So let's keep it in front of us. Let's keep God's word primary and keep our eyes on him and his word. And through success or failure, that's what the church is going to be about, teaching God's word. I read a, a quote this week that I really liked. You probably heard this one before. It says, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to a garage makes you an automobile. Right? Just because you're standing in the middle of a garage doesn't mean you're a car. Right? Doesn't, just because you're standing in, this, in the middle of this building right here doesn't mean that you're a Christian. Right? Sadly. Because this building really isn't the church, and that's not what it's, not, that's not what it's all about. Going to church is always going to leave you short. But being the church is going to fulfill everything that God has wants to accomplish through your life. Let's pray. God, I love you so much. And we're so grateful for your word. And, and if it wasn't because of your word, Father, we wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't be fellowshipping together today. We wouldn't be uh, sharing in worship or partaking of the Lord's Supper or, or hearing these words from your scripture. So, Father, we're grateful for that, and I just pray that we will be committed as your church to teaching and to uh, sharing from your word. And, Father, may it not be just a tool that we use to, to drive a point home into someone else's life, but maybe a book that we wear out because we ourselves care so much about what it has to say because of the impact it will have on our own lives individually. So, Father, please be with us this week as we be your church. May we care about your word. May we be devoted to it as a husband is to his wife and as you are to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's a couple of take-homes this week based on this message. The first is this, to memorize 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. And, and this, uh, this church, I kind of there, this church, this, uh, this verse, I kind of stumbled upon this week, is, and I, I love it. And did, did we get it added? Okay, cool. Um, we're going to say it together. First uh, Corinthians chapter three verse nine. Uh, For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Okay, you catch that? You are God's building. You are God's church. This building isn't what it's about. This is nice. We love we love the resources that God has blessed us with. We love the things that we can use as tools for His glory. But it isn't about this building. And we could be meeting under a tree someplace. And that would be just fine too, and we would still be just as much the church as we are sitting here right now. And we have the potential for a nice new building out there on our new property, and that's going to be great. But guess what? We're going to be no more God's church out there than we are right here. Okay, we are God's uh, building. We are the church. I'd love you guys to memorize that verse. Here's the next one. Devote yourselves to reading your Bible daily. 
like to encourage you to stop by our spiritual fitness center and grab a daily Bible reading plan or find someone that helped keep you accountable. Because a lot of times I have great plans. I have, I'm going to do it. I'm going I'm to make changes this year. And I don't tell anybody else. And they, after a few days, it kind of falls by the wayside. But when you have accountability in your life, it makes a huge difference. And if you want to get better at knowing this, you need to spend time in it. If you want to spend time with it, you need accountability. Next one. Share with someone this week what God is teaching you through your Bible reading. Remember, this isn't all about just me, and it isn't just about what I can learn and what I can know from Scripture, but it's about what God is teaching me that I can share with you all. And I have the blessing of being able to stand up here in each week and teach you what God's teaching me. And that's, it is a huge blessing. But you can experience that blessing too. And you can share what God's teaching you with someone in your life. And I'd encourage you to do that this week.